Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey there, everyone. Good morning or good afternoon or good evening. I don't know when you're listening to this. It's me, Nicole. I just wanted to make this podcast a little longer because I recorded the whole episode, which is so crazy. I don't even know what I said. You guys are in for some kind of surprise. I am too. Um, And I forgot to share Skirt Sports special birthday promotion. Duh. So um, on our birthday for a few years, we've been giving everybody, anyone, anyone who wants to get in on the fun, a special birthday gift for you. Because when it's our birthday, we like to share the love. So um, we're giving everybody 20 bucks to spend on something awesome at Skirt Sports. There is a minimum purchase of 50 bucks and it does end and expire on September 22nd. So you've got a, a week or 10 days to use the thing. I encourage you to get something awesome. Reach out if you need recommendations. Go to skirtsports.com or come over to our flagship store in Boulder on 28th and Pearl Street and use the code. All you have to use is the code 15 years. Did I forget to say that too? I almost ended this and forgot to tell you the code. The code is 15 years, 15 years to this day. I crossed that finish line in a skirt and my world changed. (laughs) And from, from what I've heard, a lot of other women's worlds changed too in the past 15 years. So on that note, thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoy this one. Hello, hello, hello. Hey everyone, it's me. Welcome to the 15 years is a long time for anything episode of the Run This World with Nicole DeBoom podcast. This episode is truly just a celebration because there are very few things that any of us do for 15 years of our lives. You know, our generation is a little different than our parents who worked at jobs for 30, 40 years. I mean, some people are, they have found that thing that works for them and it's magic, but you know, most of us haven't. But guess what? I've hit a milestone. 15 years today, September 12th, marks a magic moment for me. It is literally 15 years to the day that I crossed the finish line of Ironman Wisconsin wearing the first ever running skirt and uh, created the biggest shift of my life for 15 years to come. (laughs) All right, so 15. What are other things that I have done for 15 years? I want you to think about What are the things you have done for 15 years? I think of three things. I have done exercise for 15 years consistently without huge periods of time off. Actually, without probably more than a few days off my entire life. I'm not kidding. Um, Specifically, swimming was a thing I did the very longest from, gosh, around the time that I was six until probably just, oh, five years ago or so is when I, when I kind of stopped swimming consistently. I still jump in from, from now, you know, time to time, but I did swimming for a very long time, but exercise in general, I'm still doing it. It's a lifelong thing for me that I have done for 15 years. I've done another thing for 15 years. I've been married to the same person, (laughs) barely. (laughs) Um, that's a whole nother part of the journey that, uh, that takes a toll when you go through lots of changes in your life. But I have been married to Tim DeBoom since 1996. We got married on December 28th of 1996 in Lake Tahoe. Um, and we are still married today. So that's pretty long. That's over 15 years. It's over 20 years. 
And there is only one other thing that I have done in my life for 15 years. And that is own a business. And that business is called Skirt Sports. And it's an incredible community of women that are connecting with other women through a shared passion for health and fitness. That's what it is. What we do is sell fitness clothing, but what we really are is a community of passion and love and commitment and excitement. (laughs) So today, I want to take a little bit of time to share the journey of Skirt. I don't do a lot of these podcasts, just me speaking to you. And and I'll be honest, I did not write this podcast out. I did not write my 5K or 10K or whatever it's going to end up being. I made a few notes, some things I want to talk about. Um, I also asked for questions and I've got some awesome questions that I actually didn't prepare the answers to. So I'm going to do it on the fly. I mean, this is so cool. You're getting the real me. Um, so skirt, good Lord, this company, 15 years old, all the other things I do in my life weave in and out of this 15 year story. So I feel like I should just start at the beginning And the beginning actually precedes the beginning of skirt that you may know about. It it actually starts with me as a young kid. So I don't know if I've shared this much, but when I was really young, like six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, I looked like a boy. And I remember being embarrassed about it because I was like a really skinny kind of straight bodied kid. Of course, you know, hadn't gone through puberty. I actually didn't go through puberty till I was like 16. but That's a whole nother story. And I had really short hair, like really short, shorter than it is now. And there was just like, I didn't have that sort of defining girly feature. So people would look at me and they wouldn't know what to say. And now it's different. Like, it, it doesn't really matter. Gender is more fluid. And I wish it had been then, but it wasn't at all. And I remember things. Like I remember going into a gas station when we were on a family vacation and we stopped at some gas station. And I walked in and in my little high voice, I was like, where's the bathroom? And the guy working at the gas station was like, over there. And he pointed to the boy's bathroom, which is clearly in the opposite direction of the girl's bathroom. And I remember feeling like so uncomfortable and awkward. And I could read at that point and I read it and I went in the other bathroom. The guy was like, no, it's the other bathroom. But I kind of just like ignored him and walked in the other bathroom. And it was just embarrassing. And it made me sad. And I wished I had looked like a girl. I wanted longer hair, but my hair would never grow long. I would try to grow my hair long and it wouldn't grow long. I wanted anything that would help me and help people understand that I was a girl. And again, I know today's different. And maybe some people are listening and they're like, well, that's, you know, why does that even really matter? But at that time in the late 1970s, it did. And it was formative. And I think it always gave me a little complex, you know, and that I wanted to do the things that helped me feel a little more like a girl or a little more feminine. And so when I started excelling in sports, that didn't help the cause necessarily because being an athlete, you start to develop things that were at that time not considered feminine, like muscles and strength and um, aggression and competitive drive. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. It all kind of, some of this culminated in college when um, I, I was tasked with writing a senior thesis. I went to Yale University And senior year, I was writing a thesis. Everybody had to write a thesis to graduate. I don't know, it was like 30, 40 pages. I'm actually staring at it right now because I'm going to read you a little bit of it. Um, And I decided to write mine about female athletes because I knew that I wasn't the only one who was a little bit conflicted about the idea of being female and being an athlete. And by being female, I meant um, adhering to the sort of 
beauty standard or beauty ideal or whatever feminine ideal at the time. And then being an athlete and the things that it took to do that were different than the things society was saying we needed to be feminine. So I, I decided to do a study on women athletes and body image and self-confidence and eating disorders and see what came out of it. You know, was there a correlation between being an athlete and having good or bad body image? And then I dug even further in and I said, well, what kind of athlete, like what sports did people do that led them to having um, more negative self-esteem or a higher prevalence of eating disorders? And I found it really interesting because the women who participated in sports that did not require strict uniform codes that were revealing had less body image issues. So my friends who played soccer, who played basketball, who played softball, as a whole, my little survey, my little group of friends, but it was, I really think this could be, could transcend my little group, even though I got a B minus on my paper, but I think that's because the dude I picked to be my, um, you know, the teacher who graded it didn't understand women athletes. I should have picked a woman athlete, but I actually, whatever, that's a whole nother point. Um, it doesn't really matter what grade I got because I learned a lot from this. Um, I found that those friends who participated in sports where they didn't have to worry about their bodies fitting into uniforms or being judged like gymnastics, diving, figure skating, while wearing these skimpy uniforms, they had better body image and higher self-esteem and less prevalence of eating disorders than the women who wore swimsuits like I did who dove, who swam, who did gymnastics, who ran track and cross country and wearing those little tiny bun huggers. Um, and I thought it was just so interesting. So I pulled out my, my uh, thesis here and I just opened to some random page and it's pretty cool. I'm gonna read you a couple of paragraphs. Someday I should just really go over to uh, Staples and have them, have them put this online so we can we can laugh at my 1994 thesis, but then look at the things that are still relevant and then look at some of the areas where we have come so far. So here we go. With the breakdown of Victorianism in the 1920s began the commercialization of women's bodies. The female body became a marketable item used to sell numerous products and services. With this belief came the marketing strategy which dismembered the female body and aimed products at specific parts. In effect, the ideal women could then be broken down into ideal parts. Large, firm breasts, slender waist, flat butt, long legs, and sculpted thighs, all with an overtone of slight muscularity. After all, no one could possess all of these remarkable characteristics, so the manufacturers were sure to make money. In his book, Reading Ads Socially, Robert Goldman addresses the issue of female exploitation through advertisements. His argument is based on an advertising strategy called the male gaze. Basically, producers create images which will appeal to the male public even though the products are aimed at female consumption. For example, women are confronted with the slogan, nothing beats a great pair of legs. Literally, this advertisement says that the quality of legs pantyhose cannot be surpassed. But to men, the advertisement says that a great pair of legs is desirable in women. And of course, women internalize both messages, which causes them to feel anxiety over their own legs. I guess, this is my interpretation, leading them to buy legs pantyhose. So there you go. Um, so from this concept emerges Goldman's second theory. He believes that women are manipulated into buying certain products through a tactic termed commodity feminism. This principle translates the contemporary definition of feminism into desirable traits which are then associated with certain products. 
The underlying message behind these products is that the acquisition of them will promote the qualities that are represented by feminism. So there you go. That's me, 1994, working on my thesis. Whoever would have imagined, definitely not I, that that concept would be the foundation to the 15-year project we are talking about today. Because when I was racing as a professional triathlete, I did realize that when I felt good, when I felt that I looked good, I felt good, and then I would perform better, it all worked together, right? Feel good, look good, feel good, perform better. And looking good to me meant not running out of the water and having a little boy say, hey, mommy, is that a boy or a girl? Um, which happened to me in a few races, especially in, um, gosh, the wildflower uh, half half Ironman that I did a few times. I remember, physically, truly remember coming out of the water and this little kid saying, is that a boy or a girl? And in my head, I was like, oh, that's not helping. <laughs> I remember even in Boulder, going to the grocery store one day. Oh my gosh. So this had to be like 1997 or something. And I went to this little, maybe it was a coffee shop in North Boulder. And this guy was working behind the counter. And he was like, uh, he kind of looked up, they were really busy. And he kind of looked up and he looked at me, he goes, oh, can I help you, sir, ma'am, sir, ma'am. And I, and it was busy and there was a line and people were kind of watching. And I went, ma'am, I'll have a coffee. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, he couldn't tell if I was a boy or girl. I mean, this little thing followed me through my entire life. So in, gosh, here I go. I'm racing professionally as a triathlete. My body is so fit and strong and I feel amazing physically, but I'm missing one little piece, a little piece that had been planted when I was that six-year-old girl being told to go to the boy's bathroom and had made me paranoid and I had never come to terms or felt comfortable with that concept since. And so Skirt Sports was actually born before that Ironman finish line was ever crossed on September 12th of 2004. It was born on a training run in Lyons, Colorado about nine months prior. Yeah, it only took me nine months to have an idea, figure out how to create products and get it rolling. So what happened that day is that I went out, gosh, in the off season on kind of a dreary day, and I was not feeling particularly motivated, which many of you can relate to because our training goes up and down. Training itself is a roller coaster. And I was on kind of the, the down part of the cycle where I had let my body recover in the off season, gained a few pounds, and, you know, and was sort of starting to try to get it back because that's how you roll. So I went out on this training run and I was in all black clothing. I think I was in RLX gear. Um, at the time, Tim was sponsored by Polo RLX and I, I got a nice little side sponsorship out of it. <laughs> but it was mostly men's clothing, extra small men's black clothing. That's what really they had for us. And it didn't fit my body well. And I had this beanie on and the little hair that I had was you know, completely not showing. And I ran by the storefront window and I turned and looked at my reflection and there it was again. That little six-year-old girl who you couldn't tell if she was a girl or a boy. And I saw myself and I thought, geez, I still look like a boy. And I am just so freaking tired of it. All I want to do right now is feel pretty. And if I just can add a little bit of that emotion into my run, it might actually make me want to be out here running when I'm out of shape, trying to get back in shape in the off season. And I took a few more steps and I realized like pretty, that word was kind of important to me in the moment. And it started swirling around my head and I kept running, but something was tugging me back home. And I decided today was the day that I'm not going to finish this run. It was probably the day that my triathlon career started to wind down, even though I had great results after that, because a new passion was taking hold. 
I went home and I wrote the word pretty on a piece of paper and I wrote it a few times and then I started scribbling notes and I wrote directly underneath it, women's active wear that you look and feel good wearing. It was that simple. And I looked at that statement and I was like, no one is doing this. Like no one's making clothing that's actually cute and performs. And no one's making clothing that fits my body and is cute. Like no one had put all three of those things together, which was performance, fitting a woman's body the way it should fit, and cuteness. <laughs> I don't know if cuteness is a word, but it's a word. It's a word for me. So so I started like spinning. My head was spinning and And I was thinking of all the different ways that this might have been done. Like it was being done in tennis for sure. And in fact, tennis had skirts, of course, you know, and the Williams sisters were young and they were rocking and they were just like, remember the cat suit? How cool was that? And uh, they would just go out there and be unapologetic and be bold and have fun with their fashion and then kill it and just win. And And I thought there's something to this. And again, maybe there was cute stuff in the surfing world, but you couldn't do a triathlon in your surfing outfit, you know? There just, no one had done it in running. And no one had done it really in triathlon either, and no one had really done it in cycling, to be honest. All the three sports that I was doing at the time. And so this idea kind of took hold. And every day, instead of going away, got it it got bigger it got it became it became more real in my mind like i'm talking about starting a clothing company not just creating something one thing once or you know i was talking about creating something that could live for a long time and i think i knew that in the back of my mind but in the front of my mind i was still racing And um, I didn't want to quit my day job, but man, training just wasn't quite as important anymore. In fact, I'd continued to train while I was learning about how to start a clothing company, but uh, it was not my priority. And my mind was feverishly working. I was so excited every day because I was learning more and I was pushing my brain to new frontiers. You know, and I didn't know I would become an entrepreneur. I didn't know that I would become really good at starting things. Maybe I always had been. Maybe I had some of those qualities in me, but this is when they came out, when there was a reason for them to come out. So you know how I started learning? You know, somebody asked me, actually, Christina B., one of my questions, I want to know if you ever got discouraged when getting started. She said, I'm so excited to hear this podcast. I still remember getting my first skirt at the Boston Marathon Expo in 2006. Yes, we had awesome skirts there. In fact, we had this whole collection of what we call dots. I wonder if you got a dot skirt. Um, But anyway, if you did, they're like one of 500. We never made them again, so... They're like, I don't know, vintage and probably worth millions now. But um, I, I didn't really get discouraged in the startup phase because there was, my mind was so open and doors kept opening for me. I have been discouraged over time since when I've tried projects that have failed or I've stayed I've continued pushing through, trying to make certain things work when it was clear they weren't working. And that's, I think, one of both the advantage and disadvantage of being an athlete in business is that often when things aren't working, we take the strategy of just try harder and we don't always see the writing on the wall. But at the beginning, I didn't have any of that. I'll tell you when I got discouraged though. Oh, this is big actually. This is sort of a tell-all story. Oh my gosh. Um, 
so for me, I got, you know, I learned about fabric. I went to outdoor retailer. I touched and felt fabrics and I got, you know, I kind of got things moving along. I mean, looking back on it, I'm like, I have no idea how I did that, how I made that work because manufacturing wasn't as accessible as it is now. Now there's brands popping up all over the place. And uh, back then you kind of had to find them and I had connections and I was an athlete. And a friend of mine later told me that 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 he thinks maybe I um maybe I benefited from athlete privilege. <laughs> I don't know if I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but he might be right. Um, you know, people knew who we were, who I was, who my husband Tim was, and they were willing to give us chances. And great, I took them. Why wouldn't I? You know, so I had some prototypes made up of the running skirt because of this entire clothing line that I wanted to make that pushed the boundaries between like fashion and fitness and, and lifestyle and, and athletics, we were really truly one of the first brands on the edge of the athleisure trend because the skirt is the iconic athleisure item. Seriously, think about it. If you think of anything that's athleisure or not, it's a skirt. You can wear it in sports. You can wear it out on the town. You can't tell the difference. I'm sorry, but yoga pants, you can kind of tell the difference, okay? Um, But let me say, along the way, after I got all the prototype typing done and, and had that first little skirt that I put on and I wore for the marathon run of the 2004 Ironman Wisconsin and came across the the line first, like I knew life had changed in that moment. It changed. I was super emotional at the race that day. On the race course, I went from being like, go third woman to it's the skirt, go skirt. You know, my identity changed and my identity is still wrapped up in this business that I've been running for 15 years. And I remember being really emotional afterwards and just having this huge, huge release of, you know, tears and and emotion and knowing that life was going to change. I just didn't quite know how big that change was going to be. What ended up happening is um, I came home and three days later I incorporated skirt sports because I knew if that skirt got me to the finish line that there was magic in it and that other people were gonna need to have it. And I'm so lucky that so many women did. And so my story of, of being discouraged is actually when the first people started copying me. So this is really interesting. People ask me all the time. Well, first of all, people always think I'm, it's just a skirt company. They're like, "Well, doing that skirt sports, that skirt thing, sport skirt, skirt sport. Like it's a really hard <laughs> name to say. Like there's all these things I probably would have done differently. Um, and by making the name skirt sports, I thought it was cool and it would like transcend a bit and people would know that I meant like women's sports and empowerment and stuff like that. But instead they were literal and they were like skirt sports. You make skirts for sports, whatever. It is what it is. 15 years later, right? So we started getting copied pretty quickly in, um, February of 2005, we launched Skirt Sports at our first expo. It was the Austin Marathon. And it was a blast. We went down there and did a, a photo shoot with the amazing Elizabeth Krutz, who uh, I want to have on this podcast. I'm going to get her on sometime. Um, and while we were down there, like I just inherently knew how to do a photo shoot. I don't even know how I knew this. Well, probably because I'd been in a lot of photo shoots. Okay, <laughs> so that's why. But um I knew I wanted to get a bunch of women doing cool and fun things. I had the activities. I knew the angles. I wanted to have the skirts look a certain way. Anyway, that's all we made at the beginning was skirts. So we really truly were just skirt sports. We saw um, Sandra Bullock in, oh gosh, this, uh, this little Pure Austin, I think it was called. It was like a gym on the second floor of a building where we went to do some shooting and she was there and I was like, Sandra, can I give you these skirts? And she was hilarious because I was like, here, are you an extra small? She's like, no, I'm a medium. I'm definitely a medium. And I was like, oh my God, Sandra Bullock, if you're listening, I'm sure you're listening to the Run This World podcast. 
you're not a medium. You're probably an extra small. And if you still have those original skirts, they are vintage and they will be worth more probably than just about anything else you own. So hopefully you've taken nice care of them. She probably gave them right to her assistant. But anyway, it was really fun and thrilling to see a celebrity like that, right? Um, As we were launching, I was like, this is all a good sign. We actually sold our very first skirt in person in the health club because some guy came up and said, what are you guys doing? I should get one of those for my wife. And he just, he's like, how much? And I thought, I might have even given him one that like we used that day. But um, I just took some cash from him and uh, there it goes. I probably didn't even put it back in a skirt. I probably put it in my own pocket, which I guess is skirt and was skirt at the time. Anyway, that's a side. So we're down there at the race and and, um, we do this great photo shoot and then we go to the expo and people are bonkers about our product. It was like, They had never seen anything like it. And we had two colors of two skirts, the original gym girl and the original marathon girl. And we had them in chocolate smooch and latte smooch. Actually, it was called a shiny latte smooch. It was like a silver pink skirt and a brown and pink skirt. And uh, they flew. I mean, people were like, what is that? I must have it. Like something new in running, something cute. I'm totally going to wear it in the marathon tomorrow. Like we were dying because people were breaking the cardinal rule right and left. These skirts were absolutely not perfect. Like the marathon girl has a little spanky built in and those first, that first batch rode right up people's butts. And I think the skirt was a little short. So like it was flipping around and butt cheeks were all over the course. And it was like, and and everything was so humid and sweaty and the skirts were just turning different colors and they did not look awesome, but the women wearing them looked awesome because they were so happy. It was like freedom. I just, I'll never forget. I'll never forget that. Um, so we came home from that expo and we had sold through a store called Runtex. I didn't even know how to sell wholesale or anything like that. But we came home and and we sold a lot of skirts that day. And my original order of skirts was for 500. And I came home and I was like, it's time. We got we to gotta buy some more skirts because this is working. And so we turned around and placed an order for $5,000. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, not $5,000, 5,000 skirts. Yeah, that's a lot more than $5,000. So we ordered 500 and then I ordered 5,000. And when we ordered 5,000, we were in. This was the real deal. So it, it was halfway through 2005 when we truly went to market with all of our skirts and we had this website and people were buying things on the internet. And, um, and I was taking phone calls in my car while driving up and down Boulder roads. I would pull over and take a phone call because my cell phone, which is still the same number, if you've managed to keep a hang tag from 2005, my cell phone was on the hang tags. And actually the hang tags were a crotch shot. This is really funny. So when I, um, when I won Ironman Wisconsin, you know, we bought the photos. I had to buy my own Ironman photos. We bought them and we zoomed in on the skirt and used that as like a postcard and sent it to all these stores and put on the hang tag. And when I really thought about it, I'm like, oh my God, that's a crotch shot. It was like a close up of my crotch with a skirt over it. So that's good. It was PG, I promise. But my phone number was on it. And it's just like the things you do in the beginning, like it was just such a fast and wild ride. In June, May or June of 2005, we got this little write-up in Runner's World magazine. It was just this little blip and it said, tough girls wear skirts. And it was a crotch shot too. (laughs) It was a close-up of a model wearing the gym girl ultra or gym girl at the time in this chocolate smooch colorway. And the day that came out, we did like 20 orders. And the next day we did like 40 orders. And the next day we did like 80 orders. And by we, I mean me and my friends who were like helping me and running around my house in Lyons, Colorado. And we just kept going until that style sold out. Then the other performance style sold out and we and and it just all took off. 
it was fast and furious. And so people ask me a lot, they say, well, did you patent um, your product? And no, I didn't patent my product. Um, I trademarked my my name of my product, and we've had a lot of trademarks over the years, but patenting is like used for inventions and um, specific fabrications and, and ways that you might like put a zipper together or things like that. It's really, I think, difficult to patent an entire garment, um, so I didn't. And with that opening, lots of other companies started creating skirts. And I took it so personally at first. So all the way back to Christina B's question, when did I get discouraged? I got discouraged when I saw my first running skirt on the trails in Colorado in 2006, and it wasn't ours. And I was like, what is that? Where'd you get it? And I started seeing more skirts around. And what really pissed me off was... In late 2005, we were the only company in this category. Like we were the first, right? You guys know that. And I was still like, I had (laughs) that year decided to do the New York Marathon because I thought, well, I I don't think I'm going to do any more triathlons because I realized like it was time for me to finally quit the day job. I was making enough money or I wasn't actually making money, but the company was taking off. (laughs) Um, fortunately, Tim was still racing and making money. So thank you, Tim. But, um, you know, I was ready to stop racing as a professional triathlete and do this full time. It was clear. It was time. The shift was made. And I went to the starting line of the New York City Marathon and these two tall, athletic looking, really skinny women were twins, were at the same wave as me. And they were wearing my skirts. And there were actually four of us in the wave wearing skirt sports. It was actually called tricks at the time. It was the word skirt backwards. And I was I went up to them all. One of them was from Boulder. She was awesome. She's an ultra runner. And then the other two were from California. And they were like, oh my gosh, we love your skirts so much. We want to sell them. We're starting a new website. And we want to sell your skirts. And I said, awesome, after the race find me. You can find me at skirtsports.com and we should talk about that. So do the race, whatever. I never heard from them. Um, but what's really crazy is that, you know, I don't often talk about this stuff because I don't want other people, I don't want to, I don't want to say negative things about other people because I've always felt like it then makes you look bad, but I'm just going to tell you this stuff because it doesn't really even freaking matter anymore. It's one of the challenges I had to overcome. So the next year in, in the spring, this new website launches and it's called runningskirts.com and there are my skirts in different colors. And it's those two, the twins. They had started a company and we got our hands on a skirt and they were made with different fabrics and they had a different logo and it was the exact same measurements, the exact same specifications, just different in the fabrication. They even had pockets. We were the first company to put pockets on legs. They did the exact same. It's fine if people come in and take your idea and do it their own way. Like I finally got okay with that because my dad once told me like, Nicole, you got to think about it like this. Do you want to own 100% of a $1 million industry? Or do you want to own 10% of a $100 million industry or more? And like the numbers are clear. Like there's power in spreading the excitement of something new. But I always appreciate when people do it their own way, you know. So that was hard for me when I saw that people were actually literally copying me. And what really sucked was when people thought that we were them, you know, that company, because they had um, gotten the search term running skirts, which is what people searched to find this product that I had created. And then they would get their company and then they thought they were us and they just bought theirs. Anyway, I can't tell you how many times we got returns from, uh, from running skirts and we still do. And in fact, we get returns from all kinds of other companies 
where people think that there are products. Um, I don't take it personally anymore. We've way, we're well beyond that. You know, early on, I did have trouble. I had trouble getting my head out of the rear view mirror. Um, one of my friends was the uh, CEO of active.com. His name's Dave Alberga. And he was one of my kind of informal advisors for a while. And he was awesome. He just said, you know, I used to do race car driving. And I remember going around the track. And I remember one time I was going around the track and I was so focused on the guy behind me and not letting him pass me that I actually got off the track, like, you know, almost had an accident and the guy zoomed around me and I was out of the race. And I realized in that moment that I needed to put my eyes forward and stop focusing behind me and worry about myself and the future. It's not bad to know where people are and where companies are and where competitors are and what other brands might be doing. But if you focus too hard on them, you take the focus off of you. And so boom, big learning curve. So that year, that second year in business, there were actually five other companies who entered the skirt category. It wasn't just any like knockoff brands. It was Nike, Moving Comfort, New Balance, and uh, oh gosh, one more, maybe Danskin or something. Um, And so boom, it was real. They saw what we were doing. They couldn't react immediately, but they got stuff going fast. So in 2006, there was already competition. Um, We've done a lot of business over the years, and our business has been up, down, and all around. One of our very first ambassadors, we've had ambassadors since almost the beginning of Skirt. Her name is Denise. Denise P. She asked me this question. What's been your strategy to stay fresh and relevant in the very fickle field of women's fitness fashion? I mean, I remember how hard it was trying to convince some women to run in a skirt back in the day. And it was. It was so hard. There were, I had no idea that this one little item, a running skirt, would become the most polarizing product to have ever hit the running market. It was like... People either loved it or they were so offended by what I was doing. Yes, people were offended that I had created a product that looked cute. And I'm not sure why. Like, I'm not sure if it made them feel like judged or like I was saying, you have to try to look cute in order to do well. Like, I don't care. I didn't give a shit about that. It was more about just like, we have options. If this matters to you, then I make something that might help you, right? So how do we stay fresh and relevant? Like we don't, it's impossible to be perfect and to always be leading in everything we do. But you know what? One thing I have learned is that listening to my gut is always the best and that That when I do that, when I listen to my gut in business and in life, I'm fresher and more relevant. And the good ideas come out. And I don't just throw them away because somebody thought it wouldn't work. Like I listen and I, when I feel that I'm onto something, I push it. And you know what? I've learned about myself and I said this earlier, I'm really good at starting things. I'm a great starter. I'm not an awesome, like long-term implementer. And that's why Skirt Sports has had so many like interesting extensions over the years. I mean, we started that whole Skirt Chaser race series. I am so glad we are not doing that today because I just, it was so fun and it was truly innocent in its fun factor. It was the fun flirty race. You know, the women started first And the men started three minutes later and whoever crossed the line first won money in some of our races. We had prize purses. I think we were giving 500 bucks to the winner. Sometimes it was a woman who held off the guys and sometimes a guy won. And, you know, it was a big party at the finish. But um, those were crazy. Those were wild. Like we always got ripped up and down in every college town we went to because they're like, you're putting women one step behind you know, with the idea of the chase. And I get it. I, I mean, truly do. I'm, I am like, I am a feminist. 
I really believe strongly in women being strong and empowered. And uh, I love it when women lead. I'm raising a daughter. I want her to be the baddest ass leader in the world. I just want her to be strong, healthy, and happy. I mean, maybe she doesn't have to be a leader. That might not have been the right statement, but I want her to be strong and I want her to be confident and I want her to love herself. That's what I want from her. Now I feel like I'm going to cry. But um, the skirt chaser races, you know, those were edgy. I remember talking to someone. She's like, man, I was so jealous when you started that race series because it was like brilliant. You gave every woman a skirt. You had all these women running together in this product. It was like solidarity. So cool. But things change. Industries change. The events industry went through a massive change. Do you remember like years ago, all of a sudden, you couldn't, there were so many races out there, themed races of every kind. You were either going to have bubbles thrown at you. You were going to have paint splattered all over you. You were going to have to jump over fire. You could wear a gorilla suit, like anything you could think of. And the Skirt Chaser 5K kind of got gobbled up by it. Now it's funny, I'm looking at this pint glass I'm drinking out of, which is a <laughs> Skirt Chaser 5K pint glass because I have like 10 of them. And no, you can't have them. I'm going to drink them until the all the graphics are gone from all of them because they're fun. Um, so, you know, we do crazy stuff, but I do listen to my gut and I know when I'm onto something. And I'll be honest, I'm onto a couple of things right now. You're probably going to see some changes at Skirt Sports soon. <laughs> I'm not going to get into it in this podcast yet, though. Um, it's pretty interesting. Uh, Heather, Heather S., Heather, one of our ambassadors, she said, how do you pick your target audience? I'm wondering if you pick an age range, income range, or you truly just hope people will follow your inspirations. And she says, I mean, did you know we were all bound to be skirt addicts? I did not know that at all. In fact, it's funny when I really, when I launched, I thought women who were super fit, like who were just like me, I was solving a problem at the time. I was solving a problem of trying to replace poorly fitting shorts with something that performed better, but still provided the benefits of shorts and more, right? So I was solving this problem and I thought people who had lifestyles like mine, would gravitate to them. So that was like really fit, um, thinner kind of bodies. You know, I'm just being honest. Like I just thought, okay, women who are in smaller size ranges, we're probably going to want this because it was probably going to be about like showing off. But the truth is it had the exact opposite effect and appeal. And, and what's funny is that it also appealed to me differently than I thought it would. Because what it ended up providing was coverage and cute coverage, not frumpy, moo-moo, just got a baggy cover myself coverage. This was like, you're wearing a skirt for running. Like it was sort of sexy, but it actually was more coverage than wearing shorts. So it was a really interesting, I don't know, uh, my, my senior thesis is called The Female Athlete and Oxymoron, sort of like an oxymoron. <laughs> um, and so what ended up happening is that women of all sizes and all levels of fitness gravitated to it because it wasn't necessarily about the product. It was about the message behind the product, which was about freedom and liberation and wearing what you wanted and that when you look good, you felt good. And when you felt good, you performed better and you just walk taller and you had more confidence. And that's really, that's really where we still are today. So Heather, I don't pick a target audience. Like we just do what we do and the people who find us and are attracted to what we stand for, that's who we serve. Pretty interesting, huh? Um, we have made some interesting decisions along the way too. Stacy H, the ex-rodeo queen on Instagram asks, I want to know if there's a relevance to the pink color of the crotch of the skirts. Yeah, there is. We, um, we put these liners in the skirts, in the front, and in the crotch area. It's called a gusset too, in all of our styles. And 
a lot of companies when we were starting had gussets and they put white in the gusset of a woman's crotchal area. I am sorry, but that crotchal area does not stay white very long. <laughs> There's all kinds of stuff going down, going on down there. And, um, and we realized like, okay, we need to use a different color. Color's important. So you could use black totally and black's fine. But somebody made the statement to me once with their cycling shorts that it'd be so nice if the chamois of the short was a different color than her husband's because then they could tell them apart in the wash better. And so I thought, why can't we make this more of a trademark color? So we did. So from very early on in the company, we put at the time, I think it was called Pink Crush or Flirtini, or I don't even know what color we called it. Now we call it Raz. Is a Raz colored crotch, but um, all those crotch liners have always been pink. And it was really, truly for like a little more camouflage so that you didn't feel as, um, I don't know, you just, it didn't didn't seem as gross. All right, I'm just going to leave it at that. And she says, how did skirt sports get to Australia? You must be down under, crikey. Do you like my accent? I try. Um... We have the most amazing distributor in Australia. Her name's Narelle. She's got married. She's so awesome. Uh, She has been with Skirt Sport since almost the beginning. And the crazy thing is that we were actually talking to two distributors in Australia. And the first distributor, we didn't sign a deal with them. And they went ahead and got skirtsports.com.au. They just bought it because we didn't have it yet, because we didn't even know we would ever be distributing in other countries. So they got the URL. And so when we hired Norell, um, she couldn't get the URL. Like they wouldn't sell it to her or give it to her. They were like holding it hostage. It was so bizarre. People are so weird with that stuff. And we weren't working with them. So I don't know what the heck they were going to do with it. Maybe they were just pissed. But... um, Anyway, she had a workaround. There's always a workaround with everything. She worked it around. I think eventually she got it. She has it now. Yeah, skirtsports.com.au. That is our Australian distributor. And, you know, it's it's interesting when you start to get into distribution and how to grow a business and all that stuff. But we really work hard on finding great partners. And they matter. And I care about her. And I love her. And, you know, that's how I feel about all of the accounts that we work with and Every single individual customer who's ever bought Skirt Sports, I love you all. Um, Jennifer B., you asked me about products that were epic fails and then the unexpected successes. We have had both many-fold epic fails, millions, thousands. We haven't made that many products, but, um, but we have made some really bad ones. And in fact, we have made great products that have gone bad. I don't even know how, like... It's just nuts, the stuff that happens in manufacturing. But um, yeah, we made some products that never made production. Like we made products that got all the way to the final sampling stage. We sold them into stores and then we didn't produce them because they ended up so bad. Um, I remember there was a tank. Oh, God. What did we call that one? Um, Let me think. (laughs) I can think about a couple of epic fails that I actually love that I just wish had one little measurement change. We had, I think they were called like happy hour capris. I think it was in 2010. Oh my gosh. I just remember being in a hotel room with Jackie McPhee in Florida um, at an event. Jackie McPhee, we did the uh, Kendall collection with her. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society benefited from that. And um she was so awesome. But at the time, I think she was in like the worst shape of her life. And now I've seen photos of her and she's freaking ripped. She looks amazing. But um, I remember we got these happy hour capris in and we were, n- high rise was not a thing. And definitely one of the problems is that high rise in the front, but like low rise in the back is really bad. Let's just say it still is. Okay. That's like coin slot badness. And when you actually put, so that's what happened to those capris. They came in. They got to my hotel. I think I was like 
approving them or something. And Jackie just threw hers on. She's like, I love these. Because her body was at a point where like she actually benefited from the super high rise in the front. She put them on and, and pranced around. And then she looked in the mirror and she's like, oh my God, I feel like Ed Grimley. You know, they're like super high in the front. And then they were just like almost at her butt crack in the back. That was an epic fail. And they actually got produced. And they were they would have been the best pants ever. I loved them. Um, unexpected successes. Yeah, a lot of them. I mean, we, we do this cool thing now called the sewing room. And um, that's where customers submit their designs. And you're just like you're leaving this really big decision in the hands of people who aren't really on the hook. So, you know, when a customer's design gets selected and then voted on and wins, we would make a product. And at the beginning, we were having people you know, pre-order those products because that helped us program was so successful and still is to the point where we don't make people pre-order anymore. We put into production what wins if it's got enough voting um, behind it. So we had some huge successes there. The happy high waist skirt was one of our first ones. We were like, really? You want a happy girl skirt that's two inches higher in the front? Like natural waist like we're talking right below your boobs is where the waist is going to end on a skirt isn't that going to look kind of sack like and so we had a prototype made that supposedly you know would eliminate that sack like feature and it didn't work at all it worked perfectly to the customer's original recommendation her name's Maureen and uh, and it's in its third season with the company now and it's doing really well. So yeah, unexpected successes or things that I wouldn't have thought would win. It's pretty cool. Um, oh gosh, you guys, I've been talking for almost an hour. We're really coming down to the end here, but a couple more questions. So Kate, Kate Wyman Grotham, you are such an awesome ambassador. You ask, to a lot of us, the community around Skirt sets it apart from other companies. At what point in the company's history did community building become important? Was that always on the agenda or what shifted the company in that direction? It has always been important. I just didn't realize how important it was. I didn't realize how much one little skirt could bring so many women together until I let it, until I let it really happen. And I would say credit that to um, creating what's now our current ambassador program. I think it's in its fourth or fifth year. Noelle Wilson uh, manages the program and she's been like just a huge, uh, like the beating heart of the program. It's her. And everything we do has connection in mind. If we create a product, how does that help connect women emotionally to themselves, to the product, to each other, whatever. If we create a program, how does that connect women? The sewing room I just mentioned, that connects women. It connects women to the company and then to each other. They're cheering, they're working hard, they're excited about getting something created that comes from them so they can be a part of it. You know, I think it's always been there. Skirt sports would not be here today. Absolutely would not be here today if uh, if women were not emotionally connected to what we do. There are too many awesome companies out there creating great products. Maybe they're not awesome companies. Companies that are creating great products. There's too many great products out there. Without an emotional connection, you cannot survive. I am so glad that people connected to what I was trying to do from day one. And you know, Pam Wrench, you asked me, let's hear your mostest. <laughs> what has surprised me most, challenged me most, blessed me most in these 15 years? I think I'm just blessed to be able to do what I want to do. I've thought a lot about like, gosh, what if, what would, what would I be doing otherwise? Like, could I really go work for another company? Could I put someone else's vision into place? I am so freaking lucky to put my own vision into place and that people trust me to do the right thing to the point where when I fail, like I really, I feel like I have to explain it and and really help people understand what went wrong, you know? Um, 
because it's important to me. Every little thing, if a cus- one customer emails me and is like, I'm really unhappy because I didn't like the way this happened to something I bought, I'm like, oh my God, I'm totally personally taking care of you. Like I want to fly to their house and help them. You know, this is, this is, uh, that's my mostest. I'm lucky. And Chiquita, you asked me, how do I balance it all? How has motherhood changed me? How has it affected my approach to business? This is part of my mostest. <laughs> like I have a very full life. I had a baby partway through. I was a businesswoman and then I became a mom. A lot of people are moms and then they start businesses. They maybe already have a little bit of that understanding of how big motherhood is. I learned it as I went and it changed dramatically. It changed everything. I mean, it changed my my approach to fitness and changed my approach to work. You know, before, when, when I was pregnant with my baby, I was still doing two workouts a day, almost all the way to the end. Granted, you know, it would be like a 15 minute walk and a 15 minute swim, but like I was working out twice a day. I had my child, I've worked out twice a day, once a year since. That's seven times in seven years. It doesn't happen anymore. It's not as important. I used to work 24 seven. I had a lot of junk miles that I was doing with work. I was filling time. I was trying to create things that didn't need to be created. Now I work on what's important. And when I'm not working, I need to try to shut it off. And I'm not great at it. And there is no balance. Like I literally don't have balance. But I shift my priorities all day long, all every week, every month, every year. That's all I can do. Um, but I try to keep my eye on the prize. And that is... Um, the most important things. And when you step back and you ask yourself what's really most important, I think it becomes really obvious that like getting that next email written is not really most important. Maybe spending a little time reading with your kid might be more important, but it's still hard to put the phone down and do that. Not saying it's not hard because I do love what I do. And so it'll always be a shift of priorities for me but I'm so grateful for that greater perspective that doing something like having a child has given me. And for those of you who don't want to have kids, awesome, don't do it. But for those of you who don't want to have kids, but then change your minds later, great. That's what happened to me. Then do it. You know, don't do it until you're ready to do it. But you didn't ask that Chiquita, but I just put that in there. And my final question I'm going to answer here is from Rockstar Jen Zabo, which is what's next. Skirt has certainly grown, morphed, taken on a different meaning than you thought it was ever going to be in that storefront window. So what's next? What's been on the shelf that is now time to take down and start growing? Oh, what a good question. It's going to be another podcast to answer that one. You're going to start seeing some new things in the next few months. And a year from now, things are probably going to look a little different. To keep it vague, but to let you know that things are on the horizon, I um, I think it's important, like I said earlier, to trust your gut and to keep an eye out, you know, in the greater world to know what's working and what's not working. And when certain things aren't working, trying harder doesn't move the needle all the time. And so sometimes it is time to make a little pivot, to switch, to change, to focus to focus on the things that are working. And so I'm not going to tell you exactly what's next because grand plans take time, take time to, uh, to clarify. But I will tell you that skirt is a constant evolution. Skirt sports, like anything you might do for 15 years of your life, is going to evolve. It's not going to stay the same. And um, skirt sports is evolving. It's evolving before my eyes. And what I want to do is give it a push in the right direction. I want to give it the right push in the right direction at the right time. And that's when magic really happens. And so everybody, that's 15 years and one hour. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a nugget today. Um, this nugget is going to is going to be a good one. I actually thought about it beforehand. All right, you ready? Here it is. 
Skirt Sports is on a roller coaster ride, and I am on that roller coaster. And roller coasters are really fun when you're young, but when you get older, they make you feel like you're going to (laughs) puke. And that doesn't mean, though, that the roller coasters go away just because you don't feel good. You can't stop because an interesting life is just one big, huge roller coaster ride. So the trick is to figure out how to ride it through the different stages of life without jumping off and getting into the safe zone because that's when you stall. And that, my friends, is what I'm working on now. And I found that the roller coaster becomes more bearable and even somewhat enjoyable when you stop trying to see what's around the next bend and simply enjoy the ride, butterflies and all. All right, everyone, that's it for today. You know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, everyone, and I'll see you next week.